introduction. Welcome to Episode Epiphanies, a podcast where two people with very different tastes in TV shows make each other watch the pilot episodes of each other's favorite shows in the hopes of making the other person have an epiphany and watch a show that they normally wouldn't watch. My name is Natasha, and I pretty much only watch cartoon shows. My name is Jessica, and I pretty much only watch live-action dramas. And this week, we uh, kind of return to our roots a little bit, because the very first episode of this podcast that we recorded, um, we watched Avatar The Last Airbender, and I figured it was time to go back and watch the sequel to Avatar, which is uh, The Legend of Korra. Sure is. Did you know much about The Legend of Korra before we watched it here? I knew it was a sequel to Avatar, Mm -hmm. and I knew that Korra ends up with a woman. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think there's a prince that we didn't meet in this episode. I'm pretty sure there's a prince. There's a lot of characters we didn't meet in this episode. <laughs> like, most of the characters I feel like I normally see I didn't meet in this episode. <laughs> I had not watched this show since, like, I watched it as it was coming out in, like, 2012. I hadn't watched it since. I just assumed that you met most of the main characters in the pilot, but I was incorrect. <laughs> Why would you meet the main characters in the pilot? That would be nonsense. We meet some characters, but I would say there's like three-fourths of the main characters don't get introduced <laughs> in this pilot. That's valid. But we're going to talk about it anyways, and then I'll tell you a little bit about the characters that you didn't get to meet. <laughs> I think you meet most of them in like the second episode, but apparently not in the first one. Because Korra has her girlfriend, and then there's a prince, and then I feel like there's another guy that's part of the main thing that people ship with the prince, but it's not canon. The prince? I don't even think he shows up till season three? Oh. Maybe season four? <laughs> I know there's royalty in it. There is a prince, but yeah, he doesn't come till later. No, there's there's two brothers who come up, I think in episode two, who are Korra's friends, and they're like main characters, and then there's Korra's girlfriend. Those, like, four characters are, yeah. like, the main cast. And, yeah, you only meet Korra. <laughs> you don't meet the <laughs> brothers or her future girlfriend. But, you know, you can talk about what, what does happen in this pilot. <laughs> I can. Okay. So, the show. Mm-hmm. It starts with the people. There's, like, four people, and they are demonstrating earth, fire, air, water with this, like, little voiceover. Mm. Yes. It's very similar to how Avatar started, mm-hmm. except it's actually moving, and at no point did I think this might be stop motion. So, <laughs> Was that a thing you thought? With- <laughs> that's what I said in the Avatar episode. I was like, nothing is moving. Am I watching a cartoon that's just going to be a bunch of still pictures? I forgot about that. Yeah, no, this intro is a little more dynamic than the... But yeah. it is certainly like a callback to the Avatar intro. Yeah, so then there's a voiceover of this guy telling you basically how Avatar ended, mm-hmm. and he says Aang is his father, so I assume this was Tenzin, although, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Um, Aang and Katara have three kids, but Tenzin is the one we see the most, and yeah, he's the one who's doing the narration. Did I know Katara and Aang were a thing? Uh, well, you should know from this episode, because Tenzin does call Katara his mom. I this episode, definitely, but while I was watching it, I was like, did we talk about that in our Avatar episode? Should I have known that they were together? I don't know if we 
did talk about it. It is definitely a thing. Katara and Aang are a couple. I mean, they get together kind of at the end of Avatar. I mean, they're like kids still. They're not yeah. very old. So I think maybe they do kiss, um, but then they like get together when they're older. There's a bunch of Avatar comics that also like expand the plot beyond the show, and they're very much a couple in the in the comics. But okay. So it's not a surprise when Korra came out that Aang and Katara had kids together. (laughs) (laughs) I knew it wasn't a surprise to anyone else, but I was wondering if it should be a surprise to me. I don't know. I don't remember if we talked about it in the the, uh, Avatar episode. Yeah. So anyways, uh, Tenzin says that now there's Republic City where everyone lives in peace because the war is over and the cycle of the Avatar has started anew. And there was a second here because this intro was, like, so dynamic and the voiceover was really well done that I was like, oh, maybe we've stepped away from, like, that very stiff dialogue reading. And then as soon as the next person talked, I was like, oh. I will <laughs> I will say that overall Legend of Korra came off a lot less stiff than Avatar did. Because I feel like Korra has a very dynamic voice. Like, I don't think she's stiff. Mm -hmm. A lot of the main characters, I feel like, have quite a bit of emotion Mm -hmm. or just, like, tension in their voice. But every once in a while, there's someone who's just, like, a side character where I'm like, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. I feel like that's part of just, like, buying into the way cartoons are emoted and recorded, but... I feel like they did a better job in this one than they did in Avatar. I felt like it was stronger. So we cut to these government guys who are coming to a house, um, and they greet these parents who have called them there because they think their kid is the Avatar. And the government guys are kind of skeptical. They're like, we get these calls all the time, and they're never true. (laughs) And they're like, oh, we're pretty sure. (laughs) And they're like, okay. And then this toddler Cora, who must be like four, bursts mm-hmm. through this wall and is just chaotically demonstrating all of the elements she can master. And it's very funny. I love baby Cora. She's so cute. So cute and so funny. And it gives you that sense of like, in all fantasy things where it's like, yeah, the very powerful uh, person we've been waiting for is a very small child. This is dangerous. Mm-hmm. Smash cut to her older. She's in, like, a training pavilion. We have, like, a fight sequence here. It's all firebending. It looks like a fucking flamethrower. Mm-hmm. Which is funny, because I feel like in the Avatar one, we only really saw the flame guy not be good at it. <laughs> oh, poor Zuko. Yeah, Korra's definitely better at firebending now than Zuko was at the beginning of Avatar. But it was just such a, like, sea change because Zuko is, like, doing these, like, little sparks and then she has this, like, huge flamethrower and I was like, oh, okay, apparently that's what being good at firebending looks like. Mm-hmm. The uh, older people, the government people, and Katara are talking about how Korra is, like, very strong but she lacks self-control and Korra is like, great, just passed my fire test and they're like, we did not tell you that, like. You are missing the whole spiritual element of what bending is. And she argues that she should still be able to go on because Tenzin will be really good at teaching her the spiritual element. 
So she might as well just move on to her last element, which is air. Mm-hmm. Also, it did take me like a solid 30 seconds here to remember that Katara was the name of the person in <laughs> the first one. But like the way they like say her name and introduce her was very much the way I expect spinoffs to introduce people you already should know. That's fair, yeah. Which is hard to explain, but it's just a vibe. Yeah, I, I get that. They're definitely trying to like draw attention to like this is the character. Remember them <laughs> from the previous series? Exactly. But she's very old now. <laughs> so Cora goes to tell her a uh, very large dog slash polar bear mm-hmm. that Naga. she passed. Yeah, Naga. Who I wrote dog slash polar bear. And there's a guy later on who's like, is this your dog polar bear? When he comes in, and I was like, I feel validated. I was just writing words. I was sure there was going to be a magical fantasy word for what this is. This guy's like, dog polar bear. I'm like, I agree. The great thing about Avatar is almost every animal in Avatar is just a mashup of two real world animals, and they just call them by the mashup. (laughs) Like, this is a turtle duck. This is a platypus bear. This is a whatever. And then... (laughs) There's, like, a joke in one episode in, in in the original Avatar where a guy has a pet bear, just a bear, and everyone's like, a pet bear? And he's like, yeah, a bear. And they're like, not, like, a skunk bear or a platypus <laughs> bear. And he's like, no, 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 just a bear. And they're like, that's so weird. <laughs> Which, like, raises so many questions about how animals work in this world. Like, were there originally regular animals that somehow fused or, <laughs> like... How does yeah. this work? What's happened in the Avatar world? Anyways, and she goes to ride Naga out of the, like, area she's in. And then we just immediately cut back to her back at the area. Like, there's this little scene where she, like, passes the guard and she's like, I'm just going for a ride. I won't go far. And he opens the gates and she, like, bursts out of the gates. And then we immediately cut back to her back at the school greeting Tenzin. Mm-hmm. And it's so weird. I also was a little, like, it seemed like there was going to be more to that scene, but I also think, like, the point of it is to show how, like, trapped she is here. Like, even when she gets to go out, she just has to come back and doesn't actually get to go anywhere or do anything. Yeah, I'm with you. Like, obviously the point is to show both that, like, she's trapped and also just that she does have some urge to leave. Mm -hmm. But it's like a motion issue, almost, because they show her leaving mm-hmm. and then as soon as they cut she's back and that is disorienting whereas like i feel like if the scene was slightly longer or there was something else in between it might have worked better that's fair it was just odd anyways she's back at the school and tenzin has shown up and tenzin has ang's tattoo which i was like Aang's tattoo is, like, genetic. Like, this thing that... It's, like, that's genetic. It's not a tattoo. It's apparently part of his skin. No. It is... And this comes up in Avatar. Okay. It's a a ceremonial thing that when you become... When you reach a level of being, like, the highest level of airbender you can be, you get tattooed. And usually that happens when you're an adult, but the only reason Aang had it so young is because as the airbender, he, like, mastered airbending really young. Um, but we do see in the actual, 
like in the original Airbender cartoon, like any master Airbenders at the temple all have those tattoos, and we like see Aang when he's younger and he doesn't have the tattoos, and then he gets them when he like masters Airbending. So the fact that Tenzin has them means that like he has mastered Airbending. <laughs> That makes a lot more sense, but it's a lot less funny than thinking that it's genetic. I mean, this is like a magic world. Why couldn't you have magic tattoos that are genetic? Right? I support the magic genetic tattoos. Anyways, so Tenzin has these three very small, excitable children, and his wife is pregnant, and she's not a bender. She's like, please give me one child that's not like trying to fucking kill me while I'm trying to give them a bath. Which, poor woman. <laughs> Anyways, there's this point where one of Katara's grandkids comes up to her and she's like, I have so many questions. Like, what happened to Zuko's mom? And for a second, I was like, oh no, this is going to be like such a painful spinoff moment where they like try to explain something they didn't wrap up in the original series. And then immediately another kid comes crashing in, like talking about other stuff. Which I thought was very well done, because n- people who haven't seen the original are like, okay, so they're not going to totally, like, throw me out of this. And people who have still get that little, like, question of, like, oh, yeah, like, maybe we should talk about that. So I thought that was well done. Yeah, it's great, because that was, like, the biggest fan question when Avatar ended, the thing that everybody wanted to know because it was, like, such a, like, unexplained thing. Like, what happened to Zuko's mom? There's so much potential there. And they did end up making a comic book that explained what happened to Zuko's mom. I don't remember if the comic book came out before or after Legend of Korra. Hmm. I hope it came out after Legend of Korra, because it's really funny to think that they had this scene in here and were just teasing people who really wanted to know what happened to Zuko's mom. And were like, you thought we were going to show you, but no. <laughs> Just being mean for no reason. I love it. But yeah, I thought that was great too. I was like, they know. They knew exactly what they were doing. They know that that's the biggest thing people wanted to know from the original series. Very funny. So anyways, Tenzin tells Korra that actually her training will have to wait because he can only stay for the night. Because he has to get back to Republic City because they need him there. And this shot is so pretty. He's just standing there with his hand on Korra's shoulders and his big sleeping thing that I forget the name of. Uh, Flying Bison, I think? Yeah, the Flying Bison, and then the sun is setting, and I'm like, it's so pretty. Like, the animation is so nice here. Mm -hmm. It's just lovely. I do have a problem with him coming all the way to the South Pole, with his three young children and pregnant wife for literally one night for what seems to be no other reason than to tell Cora in person that he can't train her. And I'm like, if you wanted to do that in person, fine. Why did you bring your entire family? That seems like such a logistical nightmare. Mm -hmm. The only reason I can think of, and it's kind of a stretch, is like he wants to see his mom and he wants the kids to see their grandma because they clearly haven't seen her in a long time. But I agree. It's like, if you're only going for one day. (laughs) I totally agree that it's probably like, I want my kids to see grandma. But like, I would not do that as his (laughs) wife. I would have been like, sure, you take the kids to see grandma. I'm very pregnant. (laughs) Yeah, I'm staying home. (laughs) You want me to fly on a flying bison for like 
couple hours sleep in a strange place and then immediately fly home? <laughs> no. No. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, just trading Tenzin for being a weird husband. <sighs> Anyways, Tenzin and Cora have this conversation of like, I can't train you. I have to be in the city. And Cora being like, wait, I could go to the city. And the government guy being like, you can't go to the city. You're not ready to go to the city. Uh, so the conversation ends and Tenzin and his family leave. Then Cora decides to run away after them to go to the city. Because, duh. Mm -hmm. And Katara catches her, and Katara's like, you know what? I actually support this. It's time for your generation to take over. This is what Aang would have wanted. And then Korra does say goodbye to her parents before she stows away on the ship, which I thought was kind of cute. I was like, wait, you're running away, but you just, like, stop to say goodbye to your family. That's adorable. It's really cute, and I think it's also a really good subtle moment of showing like there's a lot of little things in this episode that show like just how trapped Cora is like mm -hmm. her parents don't even live in the compound with her she has to leave the compound go to the village outside the compound to go say bye to her parents so you're like how often does she even get to see her parents like yeah it's a little sad <laughs> it is it's ugh. Cora's like a very good character like she feels very well rounded in this episode Mm -hmm. already, which is very strong and I think maybe is even the reason you don't meet a lot of the main characters like mm -hmm. as much as this is a setup episode it's also setting up Korra mm -hmm. as your main character mm -hmm. and I think that's well done. Yeah, I forgot honestly how much I liked Korra as a character mm -hmm. and then I was watching this pilot and I was like, damn, I, she's actually such a good character. <laughs> she's very good. Okay, so Korra has taken the ship all the way to Republic City, and she jumps off on Naga, and these poor dog workers are like, what the fuck is happening? Poor them. <laughs> also, immediately, we see this insane statue of Aang that is clearly supposed to be the Statue of Liberty, and then this <laughs> island beside it that I forget what they actually call the island, but like, it's very clearly Ellis Island, and... <laughs> I was so thrown. I was like, why is this New York City? Like, genuinely threw me, like, for so much of the episode. I was like, why are we in New York City? That's funny. I didn't think of a, about that. But, like, yeah, I could see it. I think it's, it's... That might be partly intentional because, like, the whole point of Republic City is, like, it's the metropolis. This world has a, a big melting pot city now. And I feel like they were drawing on a lot of things, but probably New York is one of the things they were drawing on. It is so obviously specifically New York. It's, like, straight up the Statue of Liberty. I mean, it's a big statue. The Statue of Liberty is not the only big statue in the world. It's a big green statue on the coast by a bridge directly beside a second island. This is literally the layout of New York City. That's fair. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying I never thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it was so weird. I was like, isn't this, like, not American? Oh, I know it's Nickelodeon, but it just... It, threw me so bad. Anyways, Cora doesn't have any money to buy food, so she ends up fishing in uh, Central Park, where... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It's not really Central Park, because it has much more of, like, a Japanese village vibe yeah. with, like, bridges and uh, rivers, but anyways. <laughs> Central Park. And sure. she fishes, and she's, like, cooking these fish with her fire powers, and this homeless man appears, and he asks for a fish, and she 
says sure, and he talks about how nice his bush is that he calls home, which is very sad, actually. <laughs> and Cora's like, wait, I thought the city was great. What do you mean there's a ton of homeless people here? And I'm like, yeah, it's it's New York. And okay, New York which is, is not, not the only fault. city with homeless people. Fault. No, and New York isn't the only place that has homeless people. It's just I, from someone who comes from a city, none of that was surprising to me. And I understand Cora doesn't come from a city and has lived a very sheltered life, mm-hmm. so of course she didn't know that. But anyways, it's not important. <laughs> And then the police are there, and they're like, you can't fish here, so they chase her away, and she goes further into the city, where she runs into this guy who has a mega- megaphone, and there's this poster behind him that has, like, this picture of a guy in, like, a white mask, and the white mask has, like, a red circle on it, and the guy with the megaphone is talking about how benders are awful, and they're oppressing the people, and they shouldn't have to live uh, in a place where, like, the benders are in control, which is actually a very fair point because when they said like this is like this big melting pot where benders and non-benders can live in peace, I kind of just thought their government would be like elected officials of either. Mm-hmm. But he's saying no, all the all the officials are benders, which actually is a problem. Mm-hmm. And Cora's hearing this and she's like, "No, you're wrong. Bending is cool." And then she just started like, starts threatening this guy, and genuinely in this moment, I was like, am I supposed to be on her side? Like, she is literally demonstrating exactly what he is saying. Yeah, I, I don't think you're, I mean, I don't think you're supposed to, like, hate Cora or think she's a villain in this moment, but I think it's definitely supposed to be showing, just like with the homeless, like, not knowing homeless people exist thing, how naive she is and how much she, like, doesn't get it because she's yeah. been so sheltered and just lived her whole life being like, you're the avatar. You're amazing. Bending is great. The world is great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Cause she definitely does not have any idea what he's talking about. Like completely mm-hmm. misses the point. It's just like, bending is cool. Like he's not, he's literally not even talking about magic per se. Mm-hmm. He's just saying that like the normal people should be part of the government. Mm hmm. Which doesn't seem like it should be a debate, but whatever. <laughs> so she's going down another street. She asks for directions. And this red car comes. And an old lady is like, you should get out of here. It isn't safe. Anyways, the mob shows up. <laughs> yeah. And they're threatening this little old man who doesn't have money to pay them for protection. And Cora comes over to defend him. And they laugh at her. They're like, you're in triple threat triad to- territory. And... We can kick your ass. Stay out of this. And she's like, no. (laughs) Like, are you kidding me? She's very funny in this scene specifically. And we have another little fight sequence here where she's just killing them with all her powers. (laughs) Well, she doesn't kill them. (laughs) No. But (laughs) the storekeepers are like, oh my god, could she be the avatar? And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, you got it. Good for you. There's only one Avatar in the world, and she yeah. hasn't been in public ever. So, like, you know, it'd be pretty surprising that this girl just shows up on your street and is the Avatar. I'm not against those people. I am against the reasoning behind why the show thought that was necessary dialogue. It's to show that people in town are surprised that the Avatar is there. Sure. <laughs> 
Anyways, there is no music during this fight sequence. It's very odd because every other fight sequence and like chase sequence in this, there's music playing. This one, there is not. And I was like, what's happening? I didn't notice that. That's interesting. I wasn't necessarily against it, but I was yeah. trying really hard to figure out like what the purposeful difference was. Yeah. I don't really have an answer for that. Yeah, me neither. I didn't notice. Anyways, so she causes just like a shit ton of destruction trying to stop these people. And the police come and they hop out of a blimp and they're metal benders. And Cora also gets arrested and she's just like so shocked. She's like, <laughs> what? But I caught the bad guys. I'm like, you destroyed half the fucking street. <laughs> Like, certainly if she destroyed half of the stuff at her, like, compound, they would also be mad about that. <laughs> but like she caught the bad guys. Anyways, she escapes the police. <laughs> it's a little chasing one. She ends up on top of the train, and the blimp comes back, and she's like, oh no, and she tries to run with Naga, but the blimp just, like, ties them up with the metal, because mm-hmm. they're metal benders. And then we're at the police station... And Cora's in interrogation going, like, I'm the Avatar. You can't arrest me. (laughs) And I'm like, girl. And the chief, whose name is Lynn, is like, fuck you, I don't care. And apparently she's Toph's daughter, and I don't remember if I know who Toph is. You definitely didn't meet Toph or see Toph when we watched it, because Toph is a character who shows up in season two of the original series. She's, like, a main character. She's part of the little group. That travels around with, like, Aang and Sokka and Katara and Zuko and stuff. But, yeah, she shows up in season two. She's an earthbender. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. So, I don't I don't know her. Apparently no. this lady is her daughter. Yes, but if you had watched the series, that would be a big deal. She's yeah. another one of the main characters. It, it was, like, an obvious, like, this is our spinoff callback. And I was like, great. <laughs> <laughs> so then Tenzin shows up, and he just takes a very long, deep breath. <laughs> and he's like, hey, if I pay for anything, can the charges be dropped? And I'm like, I'm going to send her home. I'm so sorry. And Lynn's like, fine. Then Lynn does the little, like, I'm watching you, I gesture. And Cora does it back to her. And it's very funny and very childish on, like, both their parts. Uh-huh. It's a very good moment. Anyway, she intends to have this, like, little conversation where she's like, now I understand why you couldn't... You couldn't stay at the South Pole with me. Like, I've seen enough of the city that I understand there are problems here and that you're needed here. And, of course, you couldn't come. Which, not to be uber cynical, (laughs) but when he said that he was needed in the city, I thought there was, like, one very specific threat that was going to be like, this is why I personally must stay here. Because what Cora's seen is, like, very normal systemic issues that exist in metropolises. And Tenzin's a council member, sure, and, like, he has some responsibility to the city, but he is specifically the person who has to train the Avatar in airbending. He is not specifically the person who can fix every systemic issue that happens in a metropolis. Yeah, that's fair. I agree. I do think it's not 100% clear from this episode, but, like, there is, like, the guy the guy with the white mask mm-hmm. and stuff, Amon, the people, like, getting riled up about him. Like, that's, like, a recent thing that's, like, starting to turn, like, violent and is, like, becoming, like, 
uh, kind of the big thing that's happening. And so I think the idea is that like when Tenzin's saying like, I need to stay specifically, it's like there is very specific political unrest happening right now that's not the norm. But I agree, it's still not like specifically Tenzin's job to fix that political unrest and Korra didn't necessarily see the extent of that political unrest in, in the city right now. So like, it is a little like, you, you're kind of just, you gotta make certain things to make your plot work. So you're like, yep, he has to stay to fix this. <laughs> but I feel like you could make something more specific where I would believe your plot worse. And I'm with you that like, violent unrest that's like moving towards is something I would be like, even if necessarily as a council member, he's not someone who can fix that on his own. It's still mm -hmm. more something that would be like... I shouldn't go. Whereas in this episode, it really does just kind of seem like this guy is like talking about a different political party. Like mm -hmm. communists now would do that on the street. Like that doesn't mean they're going to blow anything up. Yeah. Necessarily. You don't quite get the full extent of it in this episode, but yeah. And I, and I understand that, but like, I was like, you didn't know. I'm actually like, I just, I feel like the weirdest thing about this show is I rarely feel in this episode, that I should be on Cora's side. Once she reaches the city, I'm like, I, I feel like you need to undergo, like, a major character arc before I'm gonna be on your side. That's interesting, because I feel like the point is that she doesn't understand, like, we're, we are getting the seeds of what her character arc is gonna be, which is she's gonna, like, learn about what's happening in the city and learn about what her job is and what she actually needs to do. I'm with you, and I do think it's leading you towards this idea that her character arc is that she'll, like, learn these things and develop these things and get there and realize her role. I am less sure that I am going to like what she decides her role is, if only because... Even in, like, the first bit we've seen here and the first bit I saw of Avatar, the Avatar is very much a weapon. And I am not sure that what this city needs is a weapon. That's that's fair. Uh, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's funny to me that you say you're not on her side, because I feel like the point of the show is, like, exploring those themes. No, totally. To me, like, being not on her side would imply that, like, she as a character is, like, a person you think is a bad person or a person who... I don't know. Not necessarily that. Like, I'm not saying I'm not on her side, like, the way I would say I'm not on Silco's side, because, like, who the fuck is on Silco's side? Uh -huh. Like, I really <laughs> like Cora, and I do uh -huh. believe Cora's intentions are good, uh -huh. and I believe that, like, I don't think she's a bad person. Mm -hmm. It's weird to put it on her. I yeah. am not sure I am going to be on the show's side of what the show decides to do. That's fair. I get that more... Because uh, I, I honestly, I don't 100% remember how they resolve this plotline about Amon and the, like, vendors non-vendors desert rights and stuff. I genuinely don't completely remember how they resolve it. And I wouldn't be surprised if they resolve it in a way that's a little bit like... I feel like you kind of didn't think this through and you kind of were a little bit on the side of the vendors. I don't quite remember... But that, to me, doesn't make me feel like I'm not on Korra's side, because I really think she's an interesting character and I like her. But I guess it's sort of semantics by what you mean by that. Okay, so we cut to Tenzin and Korra taking a boat to the island, and all of his kids come to hug her. 
And they're like, are you staying? And he, and she's like, no, I have to go. And then Tenzin agrees that she can stay. So she stays. And then Cora is holding a press conference, which seems like a bad idea. But anyway, I just don't get what the point of being there be like, hey, I'm the Avatar. It's like, you just learned the city is like kind of scary and very violent. And you want to have this like pretty sheltered kid just be like, hey, I'm the Avatar. I'm here to fix everything. Like, no. Well, I feel like that's part of what you're saying about the Avatar as a weapon. Like, yeah, right from the start, people in the city are trying to use her as a figurehead for this, their side of the political thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's not clear in this scene whose idea that was, Mm -hmm. which I think is why... Because I'm with you that I feel like thematically it fits Mm -hmm. with what is happening, but I don't think Tenzin would want her to do this. Mm, I'm trying to remember if we ever do know exactly who set up that press conference, because I wouldn't be surprised if Tenzin... I mean, maybe... He didn't want her to be there, so then announcing yeah, that's that she's there to everyone seems weird. And then if it was her idea, I would have expected Tenzin to try to stop her. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. Anyways, it's not important. She has this little press conference and she's like, hey, I'm the Avatar and I'm gonna fix things. And everyone is like cheering and then all these people start asking her crimes. They're like, what are you gonna do about the triad? What do you want to do about... The political stuff, like, what's happening? And she's like, oh, you know what? I'm not sure yet, but it's going to be a brighter future. And I'm like, sure. Okay. And we cut to her speech coming in over this radio. And we see these guys who are wearing, like, green goggles. And then this man turns around. And he has the same face mask that we saw in the anti-bender guy's poster. And this is what we were talking about with political Mm -hmm. unrest. And he goes, well, if the Avatar is here, we'll have to accelerate our plans, and I have a comment that's not important, so that's the end of the episode. Wait, what's the comment that's not important? I was like, why is there, like, a V for Vendetta thing going on here? It's, like, the very obvious white face ass. And then that's what also confused me about whose side I'm supposed to be on, because in V for Vendetta, are you supposed to be on their side? I feel like the point of both V for Vendetta and this is that it's kind of a weird situation of, like, whose side are you on? Because they're making good political points, mm-hmm. but they're also doing things that are not great. And fair enough, who, fair enough. Whose side are you on? That's the big moral question. The two things that really threw me were, were in New York, and also, this is the plotline of V for Vendetta. And I was like, oh, well, okay. Loosely. I know it's not actually the plot of Vera and Dada, because that'd <laughs> But be the masks are reminiscent of it, I guess. <laughs> like, oh, we made this spinoff of another, like, little cartoon show, and we've also decided that the spinoff is going to be a parody of V for Vendetta. <laughs> Why did we do that? We don't really know. Yeah, that's that's the, the setup. I honestly, like, I forgot a lot of what was in the pilot. <laughs> it's been a long time since I watched this show. Yeah. But yeah, what what did you think? I thought it was good. I liked it more than Avatar, for sure. Mm. Uh, I thought it was more interesting. It was more dynamic. It The characters felt less like they were reading lines off a piece of paper. <laughs> Still wild to me that that's how you felt about Avatar, but... They sure. were so stiff. I partly wonder, because at this point, you have watched, you know, 15 or whatever cartoons, pilots... But Avatar was the first one we watched. I wonder if you went back and watched Avatar now, if you would be more used to it. Maybe. I mean, we can try, but... Yeah. I don't know, just because, like, 
I kind of see what you're saying, but I also feel like Avatar is not a worse offender than other cartoons of that kind of stiff dialogue you're talking about. So I wonder if partly why you feel like Avatar feels so stiff is just because you were so not used to watching cartoons when you watched it, and now you've gotten a little more used to it, but maybe not. I could be wrong. Well, name another cartoon we've watched that you think would have a similar style to that. Like, pretty much all of them? (laughs) I disagree. I feel like they emote more in this, but... No, I mean, you could be right. I'm just... I'm just curious about that because because I've never watched Avatar and felt like it was worse than other cartoons, but I don't know. Okay. So anyway, just what I think about the show. I do think like the thing I am most interested in the show is what they do with this dilemma. Mm-hmm. But I'm almost more nervous about it than I would be seeing the same dilemma in like a live action drama And I know a lot of children's cartoons are, like, good at this, and a lot of children's media in general is very good at, like, teasing out big social issues. Mm -hmm. But from just this episode, I am not sure I trust where they're going with it. But I am interested in, like, the idea that your main character is this, like, ultimate weapon of the Benders... But the main conflict is that the benders are kind of oppressing the normal people. Like, that is interesting to me because it almost feels like you have the wrong protagonist for your issue. And I think that's interesting. Yeah, I, again, it's been a long time since I've watched this and I wish I remembered more about the specifics. I do think it's a really interesting concept. Mm-hmm. I know that they do explore it to some extent, and also a big plot point in Avatar in general and in this in in with Korra's story is the fact that the Avatar is supposed to be the force that brings balance to the world, mm-hmm. not specifically to benders and like there's a like a lot of it is between like the real world and the spirit world and between like benders and non-benders and stuff. And I know that they do explore that a lot. The only reason I kind of feel like they maybe missed the mark on this season, and I could be wrong again, I don't remember all the details, is that idea that, like, the guy who's leading this, like, political revolution is basically a terrorist. Like, he's doing bad stuff. He's a bad guy, quote-unquote. And, like, I also can't remember, but I think he might actually be a bender and is, like, (laughs) using the non-benders for his purposes. I could be wrong. I could be misremembering that. I don't remember specifically. But I also wouldn't be surprised. Like, he seems like the kind of guy who would do that. But I, I don't don't quite remember what happens in this season. So I feel like it might fall into that trap of, like, there's an interesting political thing being explored, but then it kind of gets buried in the idea of, like, well, a bad person is, like, doing this, and then it's more about him than it is about the actual issue. But even if that's the case, I feel like they do, like, address it somewhat. Because, like, Asami, the one who Korra ends up with, she's a non-bender, and there's, like, plot... I don't know. I wish I remembered more about this plot line and how it was resolved. Yeah. So I, so I can't really say if I think they did it well or not, because I, I only vaguely remember what happens. And then the other thing, too, about Legend of Korra is that the the first series, Avatar, had, like, one main plotline that carried through the three seasons. Like, each season kind of had its own arc, but, like, the goal through the whole show was stop the, the war with the Fire Nation. Like, stop yeah. the Fire Lord from doing his big war. And that was the goal all along. Whereas with Legend of Korra, each season kind of has its own villain and its own arc. And that gets resolved by the end of this. I mean, like, there's stuff that carries on through the seasons, but like, 
there's one main villain and one main goal per season that gets kind of mm-hmm. resolved at the end of the season. So this arc about Amon and stuff ends at the end of this season, and then there's a different villain and a different arc in each other season. And so I think they do sort of continue on the ideas from this season throughout, but like the later seasons are kind of dealing with different problems or different issues than this one. So yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Do you think you would watch more of this? No, I'm not like, I am more interested in it than I have been in some other things. But like, that's fair. It's not my cup of tea. And I don't if I was gonna watch it, I would want to watch every episode in order. So I also Mm -hmm. feel like it's not something that I'd be like, Oh, I'd watch it like a bit because it's Mm -hmm. like, the thing that's interested to me is how they would handle this plot. Yes. The other thing about it, too, is although I'm sure you could watch Legend of Korra without having watched Avatar, it very much draws on what happened in Avatar. Mm -hmm. The characters, the plot, the themes. I feel like you would not get as much out of it if you didn't watch Avatar first and you didn't really have any interest in watching (laughs) Avatar. And I feel like to really appreciate Legend of Korra, you would also have to watch Avatar. So that would give you even more stuff you don't really want to watch that you would have to watch (laughs) before you watch this. Yeah. So... That's fair. I didn't think you were going to want to watch it. But that's okay, because then I can just spoil more stuff. (laughs) Yeah, you can tell me everything about it. Like, do they blow up the Republic? Uh, I think Amon's people do try to blow some stuff up. Beautiful. I'm psychic. I know exactly what happens in the show. Yeah. I'm trying to, yeah. I mean, to be fair, I only half remember what happens in the show, so I can't spoil that much. Uh, And we see more of, like, the characters from the original series grown up, because, like, Aang is dead. Sokka, Katara's brother, is dead. I don't remember if we know what happened to Suki, who is Sokka's girlfriend in the original series. I genuinely don't remember if we find out if she's alive, if she's dead, if she ended up with Sokka or not. I'm sorry, I totally don't remember what happened to Suki. But we do see Zuko all grown up. We see Toph all grown up. And we see, obviously, Katara. And we see kind of where they are. We see, like, Aang and Katara's other kids. What they're up to. Uh, But yeah, what do you think will happen in the rest of the show? (laughs) I think that uh, this dude in the mask Mm -hmm. is evil, and he starts (laughs) blowing things up and threatening people, and he probably kidnaps Korra at one point, because that feels like his vibe, and he hijacks the airwaves and says some shit, (laughs) and he's trying to, like, rile up the, like, non-benders to make them attack the Capitol building because that's what happens in V for Vendetta I think. Sure. I haven't seen V for Vendetta so <laughs> I haven't seen it in a long time I don't really I'm trying to base my my plot line off of a thing I have not seen which isn't helpful <laughs> I think they kill him like I think he dies I think he straight up dies I don't think they arrest him do you want to know what happens to him? Wait, give me a second. After yeah. after he dies, I think everyone just calms the fuck down. Like, I don't think they deal with it. I think Korra gives, like, some speech, and then everyone's just like, yeah, that's fair, and then they move on. I'm pretty sure, if I remember this correctly, he basically kills himself and his brother. He, like, blows up the ship that he's on with his brother. Because his brother's part of this, too. I don't remember what his brother's deal is, but I know he has a brother, and I think he just, like kills them both. I don't remember what happens to people. I do think possibly the guy who's the villain in season two and his whole spirit world thing is like involved in this plot as well and he kind of carries on with the unrest. Boy, I thought I remembered more of this plot than I do. (laughs) 
Yeah, but I'm pretty sure Amon does like a messed up murder-suicide with him and his brother on a boat. That sounds like a cartoon. You know, most cartoons, they end in murder-suicides. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's common plotline. I do feel like Korra was a cartoon that was aimed a little older. Because yes. I remember even when it was coming out, like, I knew people who was wa- who were watching it, and that would have been, like, ninth or 10th grade for us. Yeah. I-, I think it was generally aimed at an older audience, and I think also part of that was, like, they were aiming at the people who had watched Avatar when they were yeah. younger, and so they knew they were going to be older now, and most of the people watching Korra original, like, especially when it first came out, were people who had already watched Avatar. And also, like, the characters are older, like, the characters in Avatar are, like... 12 to maybe 15. Maybe Zuko's like 16. The characters in this, they're all like 17, 18. uh, And they're dealing with like slightly more like adult. Well, I would say adult problems, but I mean, the characters in Avatar were dealing with saving the world, which... Yeah, just like ending a hundred years war. That's what 12 year olds do. (laughs) Yeah, but I feel like the characters in this, the the, like personal life issues and the like, I want not real world because obviously they're in a magical world, but the like... (laughs) They're in New York, so... Yeah, yeah, they're in New York. <laughs> they, they have more grounded lives that are more adult, as opposed to the characters in Avatar, where, like, they're kids running around the world <laughs> who don't really have, like, adult responsibilities other than, like, saving the world, which I wouldn't necessarily call that an adult responsibility. That's just sort of, like, a fantasy story responsibility that goes to people who are main <laughs> characters in fantasy stories, regardless of their age. <laughs> That's valid. Yeah. I think we should categorize all responsibilities as adult responsibilities and fantasy world responsibilities. <laughs> Can I get less adult responsibilities and more fantasy world responsibilities, please? Hey, if you want to save the world, go for it. That's true, actually. That sounds terrible. <laughs> I would rather do my laundry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, well, I can ask you who you think my favorite character is, but again, you met so few of the main characters in this pilot. Your favorite character probably isn't Korra. I really liked Korra, actually. I think she's really interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't actually necessarily hate naive characters, mm-hmm. but I feel like they can be a lot worse than Korra is, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. I really liked her. I don't think she's your favorite character. I think your favorite character is probably Asami, because she looks cool when I see her <laughs> face. Um... <laughs> I, I do also really like Korra, and I I think the reason why I think the naive works for her is because I feel like a lot of, like, kind of annoying naive characters are, like, innocent and cutesy and kind of, like, their whole personality is just being naive, whereas, mm-hmm. like, Korra is, like, a badass yeah. and kind of a dick sometimes and, like, a real, like, firecracker of a person who also happens to be really naive, which almost seems counterintuitive to her personality, Yeah. Which I think is what's interesting. But anyways, you're right. My favorite character is not Korra. Well, I do like her, but my favorite character is not Asami either, although I do like her. Um, His name is Bolin. He's one of the two brothers that you meet, I think, in episode two. Um, He's an earthbender. He's a sweetheart. I'm sure he's great. Yeah, he's good. He's my favorite. But you didn't get to meet him in this episode, so... (laughs) Also, okay, my favorite ship. I have two favorite ships. Technically, neither of them you could guess from this episode, but also one of them I feel like you already know. Korra and Asami. Yes. <laughs> Bo Lin and the Prince. I don't know what the other one is. <laughs> um, not Bo Lin and the Prince. Bo Lin actually has a girlfriend who comes up later. She's also cute. But my other favorite ship is the Prince and Mako, who is Bo Lin's brother. I was close. Um, because Mako ends up becoming like a 
cop detective. <laughs> and then he ends up ha- getting like an assignment to like bodyguard the prince. I did know this. Okay. Uh-huh, yes. Uh huh. Uh huh. And then at first it's just supposed to be temporary, but then it ends up becoming permanent. And he's like the prince's permanent bodyguard, and the prince loves him so much. And Mako's kind of like begrudgingly loves the prince. At first he really like finds him annoying, but then he's kind of like, okay, you're like mine. Like I have to take care of you. <laughs> That's so cute! And it's actually very cute. They're very... And it's also cute because the whole thing with Korra and Asami is originally both Korra and Asami date Mako at different points in the story. (laughs) And it's like kind of seems like it's going to be like a love triangle thing of like... I can't even remember who dates Mako first. I think Asami dates him first and then Korra dates him. Could be the other way around. And then they're like broken up and it's like a whole thing. And then Korra and Asami just end up dating each other. <laughs> and then Mako goes off and has to become this guy's bodyguard. He's like, wow, my girlfriend's both ditched me. Now they're in love with each other. I have to bodyguard this annoying prince. Aww. Actually, I think I like this prince. <laughs> I also like that because I feel like the bodyguard plot is usually that like the prince or the royal doesn't want a bodyguard and the bodyguard's really protective so it's funny to me that it's like the bodyguard's like fuck this and the prince is like i love you you should stay around more literally it's really cute there's also a really cute bit it's not in the show but it's in the comics that came after the show because the whole thing with Korra and asami in the show is like it was very clear by the last season that they liked each other but this was also a time where there were not a lot of same-sex couples in cartoons, mm-hmm. and it was kind of like, oh, is it going to happen? And then at the very end of the last season, Korra and Asami, like, walk off into the sunset holding hands. They never even get to kiss on screen. Nickelodeon, or not Nickelodeon, but the, the creators of the show, like, wanted them to, but weren't allowed. But it's pretty obvious they end up together. And then it was, like, very much confirmed in the comics, and in the comics they, like, kiss, and they're referred to as a couple. And in the comics, there's a point where... I think Korra is talking to Mako and is like, is it like awkward for you that you like, that we like broke up with you and now we're dating each other? Like, sorry if that's like, if it's sensitive for you. And he's like, no, like I know both of you really well. And I know that you're good for each other. Like, he's like, I know both of you better than most people do. And I know that you would be a good couple. And they're like, and I'm like, that's really cute. That's a cute sentiment of like these two people I cared about. And I know that they would be good for each other. Okay, so that goes into the canon gaze. <laughs> I, I assume there's not more canon gaze than that, because that'd be wild. Unless there's, like, one or two one-offs. Yeah, in in the show, it's just Korra and Asami, and again, it was tenuous as much as they could show it. I feel like there's a few other, like, queer characters in, like, the comics and books and stuff, because they could do, you know, more of what they wanted to do with the characters. But yeah, in the actual show, it would just be Korra and Asami. Dang Nickelodeon not letting them kiss. Dang. Oh, also the other thing, like, this show, like, by the last season, like, Nickelodeon wasn't even airing it on TV, I think, by the end of the season. It was only airing, like, on the Nickelodeon website. Like, it was really, oh, like, not... I remember that. Yeah, it was, like, a whole thing. They, like, almost got canceled, like, twice, and then they were finally allowed to finish the show, but they had to only air it on the website. It was, like, a mess. I don't know exactly <laughs> what was going on, but I'm glad they got to finish it, because it was, seemed really for a while there that it was going to get canceled before they got to the end. Having, like, high school flashbacks and people talking to me about all the Legend of Korra drama. (laughs) Yeah. Some people didn't really like this show. Like, they thought it was, like, a bad continuation of the original Avatar series. And that, like, 
the original characters who come back older were like handled badly. I thought it was really interesting. I thought it was a really cool way of exploring themes from the original series and exploring them in like a slightly more modern setting and seeing like how the world would have changed in 50 years or whatever. But yeah, I mean, it seems cool. Yeah. I want to watch it again because I realize I forgot a lot about it. <laughs> we have no idea what happened in it. Uh, someone probably dies at some point. <laughs> yeah, someone at some point. I don't know. Probably dies. That's how shows work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anything else you had to say about this show? I don't think so. Well, the next question is, what are we watching next? And also, you might already have remembered this, but I forgot until just now... The next show we're watching is going to be in December, which means it's going to be Christmassy. So I don't know if you got a Christmassy show lined up, but... See, I was thinking about this before. I was like, oh, it's going to be Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> and then we were doing this and I was like, oh, there's so many things that like I feel like are better thematic like mm. turns from this. But no, it's going to be Christmas and we have to do Christmas because it's going to be real Christmas. It's not even going to be Christmas first. So... What does that mean? Christmas first, the day that all retail stores start playing Christmas music. Mm. <laughs> AKA November 1st. <laughs> Fair, yeah, no, this, this, we're already well into November. It's gonna be Christmas though, because we are watching the only other Christmas show I could think of. <laughs> well, hey, last year's Christmas show was a big win, so I'm excited to see. I don't think this one will be, <laughs> because I watch Very Happy Whatever, like, all the fucking time. I love that show. It's so good. This one was more of a like, oh, it's Christmassy and it's Christmas and let's like have it on, but I wasn't like mm-hmm. invested. So anyways, we're watching Lily and Dash. Okay. Which is I feel like I've heard that title before, but I don't know anything about it. It's a Netflix original, so you've probably like saw some advertising from Netflix just turning Netflix on around Christmas probably. when it came out. <laughs> It's like a rom-com, essentially, except it's Uh a TV show, is how I would describe it. It's like this little Christmassy rom-com as the TV show, where it's like, one of them loves Christmas, one of them hates Christmas, but they're (laughs) gonna fall in love. (laughs) All right. I'm excited. Yes. It's Christmas season. And I'm gonna have to think really hard about any kind of Christmas or wintry cartoon. Anyways, thank you for listening. You can email us at epiodepiphanies at gmail.com. You can talk to us on Twitter or Instagram at epiphaniespod. You can use our hashtag, uh, hashtag epiphaniespod or hashtag episodeepiphanies. Either one, whatever you feel like. We'll check both. We'll figure it out. And (laughs) if you could leave us a review on iTunes, we would really appreciate it. And we will sing you a Christmas song. It'll be like... June, but I'm still going to sing you a Christmas carol. (laughs) Tell a friend or something. and Or something. Or something. Tell a bird. Tell your... Tell your cat. Yeah, tell tell your cat. Tell your cat to listen to our podcast. I feel like we could really get into an untapped market of cats who listen to podcasts. That's true. I feel like if you left our podcast on all day, that your cat would probably really like that. I approve this message. My cats are big fans of my podcast. Yeah, and those are good cats, so mm-hmm. you know they have great taste. Mm-hmm. Anyways, uh, <laughs> you probably already knew that your cats love our podcast because you are smarter than both of us combined. I was wondering how you were going to get there. <laughs> well, I was going to do you knew a Christmas cartoon, and then I was like, wait, I have so much more to say. <laughs>